0: The following podcast is from Arlington Countryside Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit us on the web at acchurch.org. Well, a number of years ago, I was working, Is actually before I went to college. Uh, it was a long, long time ago now, but I was working at Steak and Shake. I was working third shift uh, the summer just before I went to college. Uh, I was working part-time at another job during the day. I was burning the candle at both ends, uh, working late nights, trying to earn some extra money for college and that kind of thing, and so... Um, It it led to a lot of interesting stories, we'll just say that much. Uh, Working third shift at Steak and Shake. Uh, But towards the end of the summer, uh, I was uh, training in my replacement. They had hired a guy who was, uh, I was leaving for college, they had hired a guy who was staying around, he was about the same age as I was. Uh, and and uh, I was training him in. Uh, I had a couple couple shifts. We, we uh, were just on, on together the whole time. And so we had a lot of time to talk. Uh, we're up all night and there's many hours where there's nobody in the restaurant um, or maybe one person in the restaurant. There's a lot of time to sit and talk. Um, and so I intentionally, about the second day we were together, I intentionally engaged him in a spiritual conversation. I began to ask him about what he believes and why and where that comes from and that sort of thing. And, and it was a very intentional choice on my part because I was, I was getting to know this guy and I wanted to be able to share with him the hope that I'd found in Christ and the difference he'd made in my life. And so I engaged him in conversation. And as he began to tell me his religious beliefs, he began to tell me about this this religion that he had constructed himself, of all the things that he observed in the world and people and how they work. And and he was studying uh, psychology at the local community college, and so he was bringing some of that in. And, And he had constructed his own religious system based on all of these things. And I remember thinking as he, as, he, as he was telling me about this, I, th- I remember thinking, that's not the way it works. Uh, that's, that's, you, I mean, that's just one person coming up with their own ideas here. That, that's very subjective. And I asked him a very pointed question. I said, I said so, so that seems very subjective to me. You come up with your own system, and somebody else could come up with their own system. What if you find out that you're wrong? At the end of the day, at the end of your life, what if you find out that you're wrong? And his answer shocked me. His answer was, Well, I'm really sincere in what I believe. And so I believe that that'll be enough. That I sincerely hold these beliefs and I'm sincerely looking for truth and so I, I believe that that will be enough. Whatever, whatever happens. And, and I remember thinking to myself, that's just not the way it works. We don't have to come up with our own religious structure and how. And, uh, uh, we don't have to observe the world and say this is what religion should be like because God has made himself knowable. He has revealed himself to us. Uh, He has made himself known to us and told us what it is to worship him and who he is. In this authentic worship series, we've been exploring what kind of worship God is looking for. We've been looking at this this idea that's brought up in John chapter 4, where Jesus says that God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we wrap up this series today, we're looking at the second part of that statement. We're going to be looking at what does it mean to worship God in truth? It's a question we want to answer this morning. What does it mean to worship God in truth? And your key thought for this morning, this is kind of a big picture idea. If you walk away with nothing else, this is it, right? Uh, God wants more than our sincerity. And we're going to unpack this more as we go, so I hope you walk away with more than just this, but God wants more than our sincerity. He wants our sincere worship. He does a sincere heart, beliefs that are sincerely held. He wants that, but it's not sincerity for sincerity's sake. It's not, as, my, as this, this, my co-worker at Steak and Shake said, that at the end of the day, I was sincere and so that'll be enough. God is looking uh, for sincerity, but, but as John 4 tells us, he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So sincerity is part of the equation, but it's only part of the equation. We need to have sincerely held beliefs, but we need to worship God as he has revealed himself. There's specific things that he's requiring, and truth is a part of that equation. And so we're looking at uh, John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. We're going to go ahead and read it again, as we've done each, each, um, each time with this series, looking at this passage and where this comes from. Uh, Jesus, it says this, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming... Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship must worship Him in spirit and truth. So, Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman. Uh, she, uh, she, they're at a well. Jesus has been, gone there to rest. Uh, his disciples have gone out to look for food, and they're going to bring some back to him. She's come to the well to draw water, as you might expect, and Jesus engages her in a spiritual conversation. Uh, she thinks they're talking just about water initially, and Jesus is kind of taking it a very different direction, talking about living water, and it wells up within us to eternal life, and she's very interested in this, and she still doesn't quite get what he's talking about, and then he continues to reveal more and more, and, 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 and we, we, are, we, we understand that, that she comes to, to believe that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that they've been looking for to come, uh, the Messiah that would, that would come and save them from their sins, And so we see a picture of this woman worshiping in spirit and truth, and we're going to come back to that in a little while. But I want to define truth as we get started. What do we mean by truth? To understand what it means to worship in truth, we need to understand the definition of truth, and truth is clear knowledge of God derived from special revelation. Clear knowledge of God derived from special revelation. Well, now we need to define special revelation. By defining one word, we've got to define some other words. Uh, We're going to define special revelation as as opposed to general revelation. And so when we talk about how God has revealed himself to the world, how he's shown himself and and told us about himself, we think of general revelation and special revelation. And general revelation is, is truth about God observed through nature. Just general truth about God observed through nature. We can look at the world around us and it tells us some things about God. It indicates to us some things about God. Uh, Psalm 19, one through four uh, is, is a good picture of this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their world, and their words to all the world. So we see here that this, that this tells us, and, and we've, we can see this in our own experience, that creation tells us that there is a creator. That God, that there is, there is a God. There's something that has created all this. And so there are things that we can know about God just from observing the natural world around us. That there must be a creator. We can, we can tell that he must be intelligent because the world is, is infinitely complex and, 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 and orderly. There's systems that just work and all these things that were put together. It's, he must be an intelligent designer. And we can see that he's powerful. We can see that the world is vast and beyond our understanding and there's things that are way beyond us and, and we can see that the one who created this must be very powerful. So I like to think of general revelation as a good starting point. It's kind of like we can, we can see some things about God and enforce some basic truths about him but it, they don't, general revelation doesn't get us to the God of the Bible. It doesn't get us to what it means to worship him. It just tells us that there must be a creator it tells us, it informs us that there must be something here to worship, to, to understand more. So, but more information is needed to get us to the one true God and, and how to worship him. And so then special revelation comes in. And that's truth about God revealed through the supernatural. Primarily through the written word of God and through Jesus Christ. So we've got general revelation that indicates there must be a God, but then we've got special revelation that takes it a little farther, actually quite a bit farther, and it reveals, it's revealed, uh, things about God revealed through supernatural means. And so we believe that the Bible is the written word of God, that it was supernaturally inspired. It's not just a book that was written by man, it is a book that God inspired and is teaching us about himself, that when we want it, if we want to know God, we learn from his word and what he's communicated about himself. And we believe the same thing about Jesus Christ, that he wasn't just a man, but that he was God in flesh, and that he actually is the embodiment of God, uh, and he embodiment of God's characteristic. He is, very, is God incarnate, and so that we can learn about God as we look at Jesus, and we look at the character of Jesus, as we look at what Jesus taught, as we look at what Jesus did. And so once we understand special revelation, general revelation actually can help us to worship God even more. See, general revelation doesn't get us there, it doesn't get us there all the way, but once we have special revelation and we know God, then we can use, then, then experiencing God through general revelation, through nature and that kind of thing, can then take us into a deeper level of worship. It's why uh, a beautiful sunrise or sunset can stir our hearts to worship, because we know, in, we know personally, intimately, the one who created all of this, and we are inspired by his beauty to worship him. It's why a a thunderstorm can leave us in awe of God's power. Because again, we know intimately and personally the one who has created all this and that he is even more powerful than that storm that could be so terrifying. So I like to think of general revelation as a good starting point. But special revelation comes in and it, it reveals to us more who this God is and what it is to worship him. God didn't leave us to figure it out on our own. He's taken deliberate action to reveal himself to us through his word and through Jesus Christ, God has communicated to us what it is to worship him in truth. And so worshiping him in truth, uh, I want to draw out three things and, and we can see this in the story of John chapter four. We're going to see that as we, as we go. Uh, but the first thing that worshiping in truth involves is, is knowledge of God. It involves understanding who this God is and growing in our knowledge of him. We're to worship God in light of who he is. We don't make up our own ideas about him. We go with what he has revealed about himself and who he is. Back to general and special revelation, right? We don't just observe the world and say, this is what God must be like. We say, this is what God has revealed through his word through Christ, and we worship him through that means and from that place of understanding him. Colossians 2 8 helps us to understand this concept a little bit. It says this Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Let me read that again. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. There are all ideas, all sorts of ideas about God and about humanity and what it is to worship God. There's all sorts of things about what's right and what's wrong, all sorts of ideas about that in our world. Colossians warns us warns us to not be taken captive captive by those thoughts. Don't be captured by those thoughts. The picture here is of these philosophies and these things taking a grip on our hearts and minds. And it's from that place of this belief that we now fit God into this belief. God must be like this. We take the philosophies and and the ideas of our culture today and we say God must be like this. This is what's right. And so God needs to fit into that concept. That's the picture here. And Colossians, Colossians warns us that that's not the way we should do it, that that's not the the way it's supposed to be done because because of two reasons. One, it's not based on God's revealed truth. To take the philosophies of the day and the the cultural values of the day and, and, and make God fit into those, that's not basing it off of the way what God has revealed about himself. The second thing is that it's a form of deception from the devil, that we have an enemy who would seek to have us believe false ideas about God. And he would be happy, he would love to have us believe that we are worshiping in truth when in fact we are worshiping from a false set of ideas that we have taken on from our culture or from, from leading philosophies of the day or our own baggage from our history. We worship God according to the truth that he has revealed on him, by, about himself, not based on the cultural climate of our day. And so a great question for us to ask ourselves, is this belief that I have about God Coming from his word and what he's revealed or something else? To put it more simply, where does this idea that I have about God, where does it come from? To ask that question, to analyze, are we worshiping from a place of truth or are we worshiping from a place of some ideas that we've picked up along the way? Where does this belief I have about God come from? So in the context of this passage of of John 4, the Samaritan woman, we can see that these Samaritans had done just this. They had adopted these cultural practices and these other ideas, these other philosophies and they, have create, they created some other kind of version of Judaism that was not the truth. And so uh, to understand the Samaritans a little bit more, uh, they were considered half-breeds uh, they were universally despised by the Jews. Um, and so we're going to unpack that a little bit more, where that comes from. Uh, when the Israelites were, uh, were conquered by the Assyrians uh, many years before, they were taken off into captivity. But some of the Jews stayed behind in this area of Samaria. Some of these Jews stayed behind. And the Assyrian king sent back some people from Assyria to, 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 to live here, to settle this land and to marry into these families. And so these Jews married some of these Assyrians. And the Assyrians brought with them their religion. They were idol worshipers, they were pagans, and they brought with this, this, their, their religious ideas and they began to practice their, their religion of their home nation there in Samaria. Well, as they were doing this, they, they, they began to experience some hardship in, in the land and, and some hard times, and they believed that they must have dishonored the gods of the land. This is the way their religious system worked, and so they believed that we we kicked out these Jews, the the Jewish people, and and we we sent their priests with them. We must have dishonored the gods of this land, so they they send word to the king of Assyria to send send a Jewish priest to to teach them about the the religion of this god, of this land, and so they do that, and then they, they created this Judaism with this idol worship, and it became this religion of the Samaritans which is why the Jews rejected them. They said, you've taken the truth of God and you have co-opted then other cultural beliefs and this other religious system and you are no longer worshiping the true God. You are worshiping idols. You are not worshiping God. But the Samaritans believed that they were. They believed they were truly worshiping God. They believed that they had done nothing wrong. And so Jesus is interacting with this woman and he says to her essentially, you're not worshiping in truth right now. You believe you are. You believe you're worshiping God, but you're not worshiping in truth. He says, you don't know who you're worshiping. You don't know about God. He said, we do. We, the Jews know about God. We've got, we, we, we are following what he's revealed to us. And then he points to himself as the one who could bridge the gap for that to happen for her, that she could worship in truth. And so the application from this point here of, of, of growing here is to grow in our knowledge of God, to pursue God, to, to never be satisfied that we've known him enough. He is, he is beyond our, 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 our comprehension. And so we can know him in part and we continue to strive our entire lives to know him more and more. And by pursuing God, we begin to, as we know more about God, we begin to appreciate him more. And when we can appreciate him more, we can worship him from a deeper place. And when we can worship him deeper, God is more glorified. And so we should make it our goal to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God to engage in a relationship with him pursue him just as any relationship in our life would flounder if we stopped investing in it if we stopped pursuing that person and getting to know them and spending time with them so it is with our relationship with God if we think i know him i've got it i've i've learned enough i I've, I've i've read my bible so many times whatever if we believe that we've arrived and we're done that we know it all the relationship will flounder. There is more to know, and it we would, it would do well to make it our goal to pursue God and to pursue our, a deeper understanding of Him. Second point about worshiping in truth is that we need to embrace Jesus as Savior. Embrace Jesus as Savior. He is the truth, He is God incarnate, He is the embodiment of God's characteristics. He's the embodiment of God's character. There's no true worship apart from embracing Him as Savior. You cannot truly worship God if you don't embrace Jesus as your Savior. It's a starting point. And Paul illustrates this beautifully. He talks about this in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Let's read that. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. And so we have the Apostle Paul here, a Jewish man who has embraced Jesus as his Savior. And he says here in Romans 10 that he longs for his fellow Jews to do the same. He longs for his fellow Jews to embrace Jesus as their Savior. He says that they have spiritual passion. He says in verse two, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. They've got passion. They're sincere in their belief, but, it's, but they're worshiping the wrong thing. He says they, they believe that they're gonna be made right with God by trying to keep the law, by obeying a moral code. He believed They believe they're gonna be right with God, but it's not the way it works. He says that Jesus has accomplished all of that, that we couldn't do it by obeying the moral code. It's only by placing our trust in Jesus. And so we can't earn our way to heaven. Jesus has secured our salvation and through his life and death and resurrection, he offers us the forgiveness of our sins. And it's through belief in him that we are saved. And Paul has embraced Jesus as a savior and he says, I wish they would do the same. They're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong and they've placed their trust in the wrong thing. They're not worshiping in truth. So embracing Jesus as savior is the starting point for true worship. We need to cross the line of faith. We need to place our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But I chose that word embrace. It was very, very intentionally. I chose that word embrace because it communicates taking hold of it. And I want want us to to, to, uh, understand, I want us to get a hold of the fact that that it's not about looking to Jesus and saying, moving on, I've got it now. It's a daily embracing of Jesus as Savior that we are called to do. Daily embracing Jesus as Savior. It's the idea to take His hand, grasp His hand, and walk through life every day as Jesus as your Savior. Years ago, uh, when I started my, uh, my time here in, in youth ministry, I was, I was uh, teaching a lesson to our, our middle school students. Um, and uh, I had a student, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel, I'm talking about Jesus and, and the power that he has to, 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 uh, to, to forgive our sins and to, uh, to give us new life. And, and uh, I, I'm, really, I'm really engaged, I'm really interesting. I'm really engaging and interesting. And, uh, and one of my students, who, who a middle school student at the time, stood up in the middle of the lesson. I'm not even kidding here. Stood up in the middle of the lesson and he said, uh, I've actually heard all this. Can I go play basketball in the gym? <laughs> now, youth ministry is a thankless job, but that was pretty high up there, all right? Uh, now, I love this student, and we have a great relationship. He's, 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 a, he's an adult now. We have a great relationship to this day. Uh, but, but he stood up and said this, and, and I talked with him afterwards about that. And we engaged in conversation. And what he was trying to communicate was this. He said, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to go deeper, but what he also had, and, and I agree with that, that's a wonderful thing. Remember I just said we need to grow in our knowledge of God, right? But he also had this belief that the gospel, that's basic stuff. I'm beyond that. That's the fundamentals. I'm ready for more. And may we never get to the point where we view the gospel as basic. May we never get to the point where we view the gospel as something that is just to be looked over and go on to the next thing. The gospel is nothing, There is foundational. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. Jesus is our Savior. We need a Savior. Without Jesus as Savior, we are hopeless. And if we don't daily embrace him as Savior and walk hand in hand in him, with him, we run the risk of trusting in our own religious good works. But yes, Jesus is my Savior, but now I'm made right with God because I go to church and I put money in the offering bag and I'm a part of a small group and I, and I serve. And, and we begin to trust in these other things because we lose sight of the fact that the only reason that we have a relationship with God is because of Jesus, because he's our savior. And so we need to embrace Jesus as savior. That's where it begins, and that's where it continues as we continue on in worshiping God in truth. An application for this is to look to Jesus. Hebrews tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we don't just look there for salvation and then move on but that we fix our eyes, we embrace the Savior, we walk with him in daily life. Jesus is our hope for this life and for the life to come. He's our hope for here and now and for all eternity. And I find tremendous comfort in knowing that Jesus walked in my shoes. He knows what it is to live in this world. He knows what it is to do life here on earth. And I can go to him with whatever I'm going through because he understands He's my hope for this life and for the life to come. So let's look to Jesus. The third uh, idea here about worshiping in truth is that we need to acknowledge our circumstances. To worship in truth involves acknowledging your circumstances. We need to acknowledge the truth about ourselves, we need to agree with God about our condition. And our condition is this that we are not basically good as we would want to believe, or as many in the world do believe. We are not basically good. We are basically sinful. Our natural inclination is toward, towards sin, not towards God. And this doesn't mean that we can't do good. It doesn't mean that we don't get things right or that we don't you know, serve, uh, serve, you know, uh, do the right thing in, in situations. Um, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that, that we need to be honest about our spiritual condition. And apart from Christ, we are spiritually bankrupt. Apart from Christ, we are lost. We don't have any merit on our own to, for salvation. We are lost. We are without hope. But Jesus is that hope. Romans 3, uh, 10 through 12. Again, the Apostle Paul in Romans spells this out for us. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single One. This is the truth about our spiritual condition. We are bankrupt apart from Christ. And we need to recognize that. That's our starting point because no one looks for a savior if they think they're okay. They don't think they need one. If you don't think you need a savior, you won't be looking for one. You won't be interested in one. That was certainly true of my spiritual journey. I came to Christ in high school through my high school youth ministry. And before that, if you would have asked me, I grew up occasionally going to church, and if you would have asked me, how do you get to heaven? You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? I would have said, I would have have told you, you you basically be a good person. And at the end of the day, if the good that you've done outweighs the bad that you've done, then God will let you into heaven. This is what I had constructed by looking at the world around me. This is what I had constructed by talking to different people uh, and not really engaging in the Bible, this is what I, I came to understand, is that you basically be a good person. At the end of the day, if the good outweighs the bad. I, I knew I was doing bad. I knew I, I knew I screwed up, I made mistakes, and I knew there were times where I, was, I was, did not do the things that I should do. I knew that, I was convinced of that. I didn't need to be convinced that I was sinful. I knew that. But I believed that I could just balance it out by doing good in the world and that God would let me in at the end. And it wasn't until I started engaging in youth group talking with the adult leaders that I was there, were there for me and, and studying the Bible and, and learning from the Bible, that I began to realize that's not the way it works. That I can't be made, made right with God. I can't get to heaven by obeying a moral code or basically being good. That apart from Jesus, I had no hope. And it was in that moment, in that time in high school, there fresh, my freshman year in high school, where I transferred my trust from my own good works to Jesus Christ for my salvation. I crossed the line of faith. And so we need to recognize our own sinfulness because we need to recognize that that we are hopeless without Christ. And that's not to beat us down. That's not to wallow in pity and think of how horrible we are. That's not the idea here. The idea is to own the choices that we've made that have distanced us from God so that we can embrace the grace of God. The beauty of the gospel is that God knew all of that about you already. He knows everything about you. The darkest things, the things you are most ashamed of, he knows that about you. And yet, he loves you anyway. He saw you at your worst and he loves you anyway. He still loves you. And he offers his son for you. His son, sent his son to the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could be forgiven, knowing all that you had done. So we need to recognize our circumstance so that we can embrace the grace of God. And so our application here is to confess and repent. And that needs to happen initially to cross the line of faith, but that needs to happen on an ongoing basis in our lives. It's how we worship in truth. And to confess is to agree with God about your sin, to say what he says about it. Don't call it a mistake. Don't blame it on someone else. Take ownership. That's sin. I did that. I sinned there. Will you forgive me, God? Confess it. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. We have a God who is eager to forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. We need to go to him in confession. It's a step, that we, that's a step of, of worshiping him in truth. And, and the other part of repenting, to repent is to turn away from your sin, to have a change of heart that leads to a change of action. So we say, what we, we say what God says about our sin and we say, I, I no longer want that. I want God's righteousness. I'm turning towards him, towards his standards and I'm going to go that direction instead. And so it's a change of heart that leads to a change of action. So we need to confess and repent. And I said we were going to trace the Samaritan woman. She does each of these steps. She worships God in truth and we can see it in this passage. So I want to, I want to turn our attention there as, as, as we begin uh, to wrap up. John 4.23, we read this uh, in, in our opening passage, but I want to read it again here. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so this is Jesus talking to this woman, and he says, the time is coming, indeed it is here now. And I want to suggest to you that that day right there, that moment right there, was the start of this woman's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We see from her interaction with Jesus that, she begins to, that Jesus begins to unearth her sinfulness. And, and see, we learn that she's a broken woman, that she's been married many times before and is currently living with a man who isn't her husband, something that would have been deeply shameful for her that, in that time period, uh, and something that God says is sin. Uh, and so uh, he unearths this, but he doesn't do it in a way that shames her or beats her down. He does it and then points to hope. That there is hope in him, that as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that there is hope for her. In John 14, 16, we have this interaction. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke true. And so we infer from this that she recognizes her sinfulness, It's laid out there. She actually asks, are you a prophet that you know these things? And and Jesus says, even greater than that, he's the Messiah. And he points to himself as her hope. And we see then that she's seeking the truth about God. As she interacts with Jesus, she begins to ask him questions. Are you a prophet? And then I heard the Messiah is coming. And she begins to ask questions. And she's growing in her understanding, her knowledge of God. And we see that she, in John 4, let's read John 4, 28 and 29, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did, I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? We have a starting point of asking for a cup of water to now she leaves the water jar, the water jug that she's come with. She runs back and tells everybody, I think I found the Messiah. She runs back because her knowledge of God has grown and she's understanding who this guy is. And then the, the crowds come to, come with her to Jesus and, 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 and then we see that they embrace Jesus as Savior. He spends two days with them teaching about himself and teaching them what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth and who he is. And we see in John four forty two the culmination of the story, this beautiful picture. Then they said to the woman, this is the crowd, they said to, this, to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And we see how this woman experiences her need, recognizes her need. She grows in her knowledge of God and she embraces Jesus as savior. And we see that people go along with her, that she shares that and the crowd goes along with her, that they embrace Jesus as their savior as well. So as we wrap up this series on worshiping God in spirit and truth, may we remember God wants more than our sincerity. He is seeking people who will worship him according to his revealed truth. May each of us grow in our worship of the one true God. He deserves our passionate devotion to him. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Arlington Countryside Church, please visit us on the web at acchurch.org.